I'm so thankful to be here this morning to break the bread of health to you. My name is Jacqueline Flash, and the handsome gentleman you saw here on the piano is my husband and best friend, and he will be giving me a little bit of a helping hand this morning with the reading. So you must be wondering who I am. Well, I will tell you, I'm standing here before you. I do not have a PhD in medicine. I don't have a bachelor's degree in medicine. But I'm standing here before you this morning with experience. I've worked in the medical field for over 16 years. I've run an urgent care clinic. I've brushed shoulders with some of the most amazing doctors. I've also assisted in surgery, ran flu clinics, and you name it. So what I'll be sharing with you today is experience. I love medicine. And as you hear the children's story this morning, those eight laws are what we call the eight doctors. So I am now practicing as a medical missionary worker. And just as Paul or Saul, on his way to Damascus, he had an encounter with Christ. So on my way to the high life of medicine, I had my encounter with Christ. In the medical field, I've learned the good, the bad, and the very ugly. And so I decided that, or matter of fact, God decided to take me out of the medical field and put me to work in his vineyard. And so this morning I'll be sharing a bit with you. And as you can see by the title, Master of the Mind, you can have a little bit of an idea what I'll be talking about this morning. It's about the mind. We're now living in the last days, and so you see, with the events that are happening around us, Jesus is coming, people. We, Jesus is coming. We have to get ready. We have to be ready. And how can we get ready? Our mind. Our mind. Our mind. So before we break the bread of health, for those who can kneel, Please kneel. Those who can't, just bow your head where you are. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for another day that you have blessed us with. You woke us up this morning, Lord. Not just waking us up, but you've woken us up in the right frame of mind. We are here this morning and we ask that your holy presence continue to be with us. And as I speak before your children this morning, Lord, I pray that you'll make me decrease and you increase in me. What, are, what we're sharing today, Lord, I pray that each and every soul here will be blessed. You're an awesome God, worthy of all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. So be with us, Father. Let this be edifying to each soul here. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. 
I hope this morning you've brought your book with you, your Bible, basic instruction before leaving earth. So we're going to turn to the book of Psalm. And we're going to turn to Psalm 139, verse 14. And my husband here will be reading that for us as well. But you also will be reading along or following along. If you have found it, let me hear you say amen. Psalm 139, verse 14. And it says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. I fearfully and wonderfully made. That applies to each and every one of us. We are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. I can testify to that. Can you? Can you? Can you? Think about this. While you are sitting here this morning, the blood is flowing through your veins at the right temperature, at the right pressure to keep you alive. Your mind is processing information 10 quadrillion times per second without you even knowing it. What an awesome God that we serve. For all of this to be happening inside of our body without you even thinking about it. So today I'm going to share a little bit about the mind because in Hebrews 10 verse 16, God tells us he wants to write the law in the heart and mind of his people. He wanted to do it then, and he still wants to do it today. And so before we can move on, let's look at the heart. He says the heart and the mind. But when you look at the heart and you look at the mind, they're the same. The Bible often talks about the heart, but it's also the mind. And so I sort of looked up and said, okay, what exactly does Strong's Concordance say about the heart? So it says the heart is used very widely for feelings, the will, and even the intellect. So you can see that the heart, when it talks about the heart, it's also the mind. 
But before we can move on even further, we need to understand what we are talking about when we're talking about the mind. So let's have a look at the next slide. This is a cross-section of the human brain. So if you're going to understand the mind, you also have to have a little bit of 101 on anatomy and physiology of the brain, correct? So here's the brain, and it's a cross-section of the brain. And if you look closely, the cerebrum is the largest part of the brain. Now, that is responsible for higher brain function. And it controls things like thoughts and action. And it also contains what we call the cortex. The cortex is made up of four lobes. And as you can see, we've got the frontal lobe, which is the biggest part of the brain, correct? We've got the parietal lobe, the occipital lobe, the temporal lobe. And then, of course, you'll see the brain stem, the spinal cord, and so forth. But today, our main interest is the frontal lobe. Why? Let's have a look at all the functions of the frontal lobe. Let's look at the next slide. So the function of the frontal lobe is motor function, problem solving, for you to be spontaneous, memory, language, for you to take the initiative, judgment, impulse control, social and sexual behavior. That's quite a job for a frontal lobe. So you can see how critical the frontal lobe is. And looking at that, we can now safely say that if our frontal lobe is compromised, then all of that is compromised. Fair thing to say? Right. So let's, I've used three books while I was doing this research and writing down what the Lord has impressed me to write down. I've used the Bible. My favorite is the King James Version. I've used Mind, Character, and Personality, written by Ellen G. White. And I've used also Child Guidance, written by Ellen G. White. So let's have a look and see what she says about the mind. We'll have a look at the next slide, please. The mind controls the whole man. All our actions, good or bad, have their source in the mind. It is the mind that worships God and allies us to heavenly things. All the physical organs are the servants of the mind, and the nerves are the messengers that transmit its orders to every part of the body, guiding the motions of the living machinery. Isn't that interesting? The mind controls the whole man, the whole being. So with the mind, you can see how critical it is that your mind is in the right place. Have you ever heard about, or the word placebo? Who's heard the word placebo? Can anyone explain what placebo is? 
Who's the brave one? Can anyone explain what placebo is? Fake? Absolutely. It's a fake, but in which way? You got it, exactly. Now, placebo, believe it or not, the first doctor that came up with the placebo was in the 1800s, 1822, and that was Dr. Isaac Jennings. Dr. Jennings was practicing medicine for over 20 years. And as you know, back then in the 18th centuries, there was only two types of medicine that was sanctioned. That was the allopathic medicine, which is the medicine we have today. And then there was homeopathic medicine. But today we practice the allopathic medicine. And so Dr. Jennings, what we know back there, there's three things they've always done in medicine and there's three things even today they do in allopathic medicine. Back then in the 1800, it was bloodletting, surgery, and medication. Now medication that they used was harsh. It was lead and mercury. And so these medicine, Dr. Jennings was just not happy because every single patient he's treated, the result, the outcome was not always the way he wanted it. And so one day on his way to a patient's house, or back from the patient's house, he ran into a gentleman at the side of the street. The gentleman kindly asked him to assess him because he wasn't feeling well, he was running a fever. And so Dr. Jennings patiently checked the, patient, checked the gentleman and realized, well, you have a bad fever. I'm gonna write you up a prescription. And he said, no, no, no. I think I know how to do it. I just wanted to know what it is I'm troubled with, but I think I know how to handle it. If I need the medicine, I will come back to you later. So a week later, Dr. Jennings was going back to visit the same patient because there was no result, even though he's put them on all these different types of medication. While he was passing the gentleman's house, he, the gentleman was outside working hard and he was well. So Dr. Jennings said, went over to him and asked him, so how's the fever? He says, it's gone. What did you do about it? Well, I got fresh air. I did not eat for a bit. I had a lot of water. I had a lot of rest and so forth. And Dr. Jennings said, that was it? That's all you did? He said, yes. And so on his way to the patient's house, Dr. Jennings thought about it. And then he thought, I'm gonna try something different with my patient. And he started making pills out of bread. There's little pills out of bread. And he gave these pills to his patient. And with that, he said, have plenty of water with it. Do not eat, rest, stop eating for a while. Give your stomach a break, but have a lot of water, rest, and get a plenty of sunshine. And every single patient that he recommended that to, they all got well. And so he thought he was onto something and he started writing down his findings. Mind you, the patients weren't happy later on when they found out that they were being given bread pills. <laughs> but certainly, they all got better. And so that was the first placebo that was created by Dr. Isaac Jennings. 
So now we can see the power of the brain, the power of the mind, because they thought they were getting something that was going to heal them. And in return, they had faith in it, and they were healed. Simple. So you might be thinking, what is the difference between the brain and the mind? The difference is the brain is tangible. You can see it. With surgeons, they can see it, they can touch it, they can operate on it. But with the mind, it's non-tangible. You cannot, you cannot see it. So how does these two work together as one? The only way I can explain it to you is through experience because I forgot to tell you that I'm also a certified tech, computer tech. And so when you look at the brain and the mind, think of it as the brain as being the hard drive and the hard drive being in your computer, which is the hardware, and the mind being the software. The software is needed for the hardware to work. But there's a one other equation. The hardware, the software requires a programmer. Correct? And if the programmer is not a good programmer, then your hardware is what? It's not going to work well. But if you have a good programmer, you've got a, that program a good software, then the hardware is going to work well. Correct? And so when you look at the whole thing, and you look at how the brain works, do you know that there's someone else that wants your mind? God wants it, but somebody else wants it. Yes, and you know what? He's willing to hijack it. Your children are no exception. Your grandchildren are no exception. He wants the mind. He wants the heart. He wants the worship. And so, the mind, if we do not guard the mind, then, folks, it's open. It's fair game. It's ready to be hijacked. And how are the ways, some of the ways that the mind can be hijacked? Let's have a look at the screen here. What we eat and what we drink. What we see, hear, and listen to. Our environment and trauma. We're going to look at the first three. What we eat and drink. What we see, hear, and listen to. The environment. We're not going to get into trauma because trauma is such a wide topic. Because we're not only looking at physical trauma to the brain. We're looking at emotional trauma. And when we get into the emotional side of trauma to the brain... Now we're talking about something that is so, so big. But what we drink, actually I found a, a little article here by the Washington Post. Next slide, please. Believe it or not, this article came out May 24th of 2014. And look at the title. Diet in the Mind. And so... Let's have a, a little bit of that. Diet in the Mind, the Washington Post. 
Can what you eat affect your mental health? New research links diet and the mind. Research exploring the link between diet and mental health is a very new field. The first papers only came out a few years ago, said Michael Burke, a professor of psychiatry at the Deskin University School of Medicine in Australia. But the results are unusually consistent, and they show a link between diet quality and mental health. The common element seems to be whole, unprocessed, nutrient-dense foods. And so this was back in 2014. But folks, how long ago have the Adventists known about this? How long ago did we receive this message? And now we need the world to tell us? We knew this way back because we got this message way, way back from the 1800s and we got this message. But yet, we don't take it serious. A blood that's not pure does not give you clear thoughts. A blood that is congested, not circulating properly, is not going to give you clarity of mind. And so let's also have a look at mind, character, and personality. And these are little um, headings that I took from it in regards to diet. So with a poor diet, the mind can become confused. Through appetite is an excellent way that Satan, from the beginning of time, he's used appetite. He's used it in the Garden of Eden and he's still using it today, appetite, to control our mind. Overeating can also produce forgetfulness. How many of you have eaten a full meal, a full plate of meal, and you fall asleep? You're guilty. Yes, I'm guilty too. But until I learned about the health message, I knew I had to change. I definitely had to change. And I did. I did. Because one of the things is I love the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. And if your mind is not clear, he cannot com communicate with you. You, can, you will not be able to hear him. And look at this. Overeating blunts the emotion. Didn't the Bible tell us that in the last days the heart of man will run cold? And that's because we overindulge. We do not exercise temperance. We eat and eat and we eat. We're literally using our knife and fork and we're digging our grave. And so what we eat is very important for a clear sound mind, clear judgment. So what are the solutions to this? Solutions. Number one, temperance, self-control. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. And that's Proverbs 25, verse 28. And number two, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Do you know how many times I have heard 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 used incorrectly? They say, I can eat, but I'm doing it to the glory of God. I can drink, but I'm doing it to the glory of God. 
I can do this, this, and I'm doing it to the glory of God. But what does it actually mean to do it to the glory of God? Let's have a look and see what it means, the glory of God. The glory of God, verse 18 and 19 of Exodus 33. And he said, I beseech thee, shew me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will shew mercy on whom I will shew mercy. Now, God, this is a conversation that was happening between Moses and God. M Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I will show you my glory, but I'm going to proclaim it. What does it mean to proclaim something? What does it mean to proclaim? Announcing. But it's of great importance, right? So you're announcing it. So let's have a look. Let's break it down a little bit more and look at what it means to proclaim. Proclamation. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and graceful, gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Exodus 34, 5 to 7. Now, can you see what God was proclaiming? Does anyone notice what he's proclaiming? He said he's merciful and gracious and long-suffering. What are these? That's his character. He is proclaiming his character. And so if we are eating and we're not, we, and by eating we are not showing God's character in us, then what we are doing is wrong. Whatever we do must reflect God's character. If we drink and we brawl, is that reflecting God's character? If we smoke, is that reflecting God's character? It is not. And so we must understand that we, whatever we do, is to reflect God's character. And if we do, do that, then we're not doing the right thing. So what about what we see and what we hear? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. Luke eleven thirty four. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear, with what measure ye meet. It shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. So whatever comes through here, it can come through here. So whatever you see, whatever you hear, whatever you listen to can influence your mind. Now, I was reading up about music. And young people, I know you're tired, but wake up, wake up. Because what you listen to 
what you watch, what you hear, all these leave you open. If it's not of God, it leaves you wide open to be hijacked. Wide open. And so I was reading about this Hungarian musician. And he had a song that he wrote called Gloomy Sunday. This is how powerful what you hear can, infect, can affect you. He wrote a song called Gloomy Sunday. And this was in, back in 1932. That song was so depressing that after listening to it, over a hundred people committed suicide. The song, the music was banned in Hungary. Why? Because people were listening to it and they were just jumping off buildings. They were just killing themselves. Later on, this, this song went to America and they were so afraid that they said, no, 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 we're not gonna air this. We're not gonna give it any air time. And so the ban was lift only that just the instrumental part would be played. But when that was played, people were still committing suicide. And so what you hear is very powerful. The music of today, I have to say, has changed quite from way back in my days. The music today is trifling. It is trifling, and I will say it and declare it loudly, it is truly trifling. It has no respect of people. And so when your mind is open to that and you're listening to that, you are so open to be hijacked by the wrong programmer. And for everything that we listen to, our brain, do you know that our brain, when we start learning, our brain is formed and it expands and is able to hold information and even your very character can be changed. And so it's very, very important that we understand that what we hear, what we listen to can affect us greatly. So what are the solution? Solution. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Philippians 4, verse 8. So whatever you're doing in life, remember this. Keep this text in your head, and it will guide you. Because if it's not true, if it's not pure, if it's not lovely, and again, we will see Christ in this. Because if you're listening to something that is not the truth, eventually, you're going to be a liar too. Correct? And so... Anything you're doing, measure it up to this, because this here can be your guideline to how you choose things. And finally, let's look at the environment. I found this really interesting article um, written by Dr. Eugene Rubin. He's a PhD and an MD. 
And if you notice his title, it's quite interesting. He's a demystifying psychiatrist. Does anyone know what demystifying is? Or what it means? He takes confusion and turns it into what you can understand. And so he's telling us that this article, and, and youth, I want you to listen to this because this is so critical. This is very important. Parents with young children, please pay attention. Adults, please pay attention because this is really important. This is a quote from Eugene Rubin, PhD and MD in demystifying psychiatry. In recent years, various research studies have shown that early life experiences can influence brain development in children. Early life influences on brain growth and behavior were further clarified in two recently published studies. These two studies strongly suggest that environmental influences on young children have direct effects on patterns of brain maturation, which in turn are associated with specific patterns of behaviors. Now, while I was researching, I use YouTube quite a lot um, to get some information. And while I was researching, I came up across, I came against this um, news clipping. And the news clipping was very interesting. The title was very interesting, and it caught my attention. But it was about a little boy, and the title was The Boy Who Should Have Lived. I thought that was very interesting. It was uh, broadcast by the Fifth Estate, which is the CBC News. And so I clicked on the, the link to the video. And it was about a 10-year-old boy who died. And as according to the news reporter, she said, quote, from the time he was out of the womb, he was a boy on the go. He was described as daring, sm young, small, but brave. This child was jumping from the roof of his house to the ground, fearless. At five years old, he owned his own little racer bike, all with the, everything to go with it, the helmet, the race, outfit, everything. At five years old, he was racing. He had everything he could ever, he never stopped. But it came to a stop when he started school. He started school and the problem began. And according to the reporter, his fearlessness and impulsive behavior became a problem. And it be he became so frustrated that he became extremely aggressive. And so the parents said, well, it's the school. It's got to be the school. So they moved him to another school. And the same behavior followed. And they thought, okay, let's, te let's, let's test him and see if maybe he have a learning disability. He got tested. The result came back. There's no learning disability. He's fine, but he sure have a behavioral problem. And so because of that, 
they now put him on medication, ADHD. According to the parents, his behavior got even worse. And so the parents taped him because it was so, he was so aggressive. By nine years old, he was smoking, he was drinking, he was making his own pipes to smoke. And at 10 years old, he was just uncontrollable. And when you listen to the video that his parents, that his parents video audio taped him, and I had to sit up in my chair because I was, I could not believe the foul language that was coming out of this child's mouth and the rage that he was in. He basically was tearing the room apart. And so I said to myself, this child is under the influence of another spirit. And if the parent knew in which spirit they were dealing with, this child, I believe, would have been alive today. But they had no idea because this behavior was fostered from a child. And so therefore, their child's mind was hijacked by the wrong programmer, the wrong spirit. And so let's have a look and see what Ellen White says about the mind and the enemy. The enemy will try to control the minds of our children, but shall we allow him to mold them according to his will? These little ones cannot discern what spirit is influencing them, and it is the duty of parents to exercise judgment and discretion for them. Their habits must be carefully watched, evil tendencies are to be restrained, and the mind stimulated in favor of the right. Now, when you talk about restraint, we're not talking about physical restraint. No, we're not. Because if you love your child, you are going to discipline them, but discipline them with love. With love. But if you don't discipline them with love and correct them in the way they should go, then you know when they are older, you've got quite a problem on your hand quite a problem on your hand. And so in the story of this little boy, at 10 years old, and again, according to the reporter, quote, he lost his battle with darkness, end of quote. This 10-year-old child hung himself from a tree because he said he could not control, he could not control his mind his father asked him, what can I do? He said, I cannot control myself. I cannot control my mind. Clearly, he was hijacked. Clearly, he was hijacked. And so, we've got the mind, we've got the brain, and we've got the very important, the programmer. The programmer is detrimental in creating that software that's gonna allow the hardware to run properly. And so my question to you today, who is your programmer? 
Who is the master of your mind? Who is the master of your children's mind? Is your mind open to be hijacked? Because after all, you're fair play. There's no exception. Your children is no exception. And so when we're thinking of this, if your mind is hijacked, how are you going to serve the Lord? You can't serve the Lord if you you can't hear him. You can't serve the Lord if you can't follow his ways and be obedient. And so what we eat, what we see, what we listen to, what we hear, our environment, it all matters. It all matters. And so let's have a look at the solution. For children, this is the solution. So parents, please, this is your solution right here. It is during the the first years of the child's life that his mind is most susceptible to impressions, either good or evil. During these years, a decided progress is made in either a right direction or a wrong one. The foundation is laid in the first three years, mothers. Be sure that you properly discipline your children during the first three years of their lives. Do not allow them to form their wishes and desires. The mother must be mined for her child. The first three years is the time in which to bend the tiny twig. Mothers should understand the importance attaching to this period. It is then that the foundation is laid. Now I have to say, not only mothers, but fathers, you are just as responsible as the mother in ensuring that your child is being brought up in that way that they should go. And I will tell you, I grew up, there were six of us in my family. And my grandma was the only Adventist in my family. And so my mother got fed up of us one Sabbath morning and sent all of us to church with my grandma. But through it all, I was the only one that stayed with my grandma in church. I was six years old. And believe it or not, when I got into my teens, I felt like I was, I've outgrown God. I didn't need him anymore. After all, I'm my own person. I can do whatever, say whatever, but one thing stuck with me. I never smoked and I never drank. And later on, God brought me flat on my back. Was it because he did not love me? Yes, he wanted to save me. And if I was to tell you that three years ago, if you told me I would be standing before you talking, I would say you have totally lost your mind. There was no way. But I'm here today because I was brought up in the way I should go. I did lose it. I lost the way. I gave it up. But here I am today. I'm older and I found my way right back to my Lord and Savior. I have now accepted him as my master programmer. He is the master of my mind. 
and adults, this one is for you. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Keep your mind focused on Christ. Have him as your master programmer. He will never fail. And so, as from Psalm 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Forever. You keep your mind on him, stayed upon him, and it's forever. You put your faith and trust in him, and it is forever. God is not a God that will lie to you. He is a God that will fulfill every single promise he's made to you. But you have to claim it. And in order for you to claim it, you have to have sound judgment. And in order for you to have sound judgment, you have to have clarity of mind. And if today you have decided to make Jesus your master programmer, the master of your mind, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. If you want Christ to be your master programmer today, you have stood to your feet. So do you know what that tells me? You have made it a promise to make Christ your master programmer. Youth, you have stood today before the altar. You have made a promise that you will make Christ the center of your joy and the master programmer in your life. That's a promise. Yes, they say promise can be broken, but guess what? This is one promise I guarantee you, you don't want to break. Because once you have that different programmer in your mind, programming the thoughts in your head that is not our Christ and Lord and Savior, you're in trouble. Because that other programmer will utterly destroy you. You're no exception. And so as you stand to your feet, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity that you have given us. I pray, Lord, that every heart will be touched. That every heart here will make you their master programmer, the master of their mind. And Lord, that the message that they have received here, they will go out and share. You're an awesome God, worthy of all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. And we pray that you will continue to be in the midst of us. And that each and every person here, that you will be with them, that you will be in their household, Lord, and that they will give themselves completely to you. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the mercy that you have poured upon each and every one of us. Oh, Father, keep us in perfect peace, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen.